thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't get back. I know these rivers carry Welcome to another episode of Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and uh, today I'm pretty excited about uh, this episode because we're talking to someone that I've uh, I've been reading his books or his book, I should say. He's got many books though, but there's one in particular that I've been reading, and uh, he's probably one of the uh, the best known award winning authors in our area, specifically writing books that deal with uh, Kankakee County and history, and and that is Jim Writings. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Jake. It's it's so great to have you here. I, I I don't think I think this is the first time we've met. I know that you've been into uh, the uh, the Milner Media stations from time to time, but I think when you've been there for interviews, um, I know it wasn't with me, and it was probably with someone else. And maybe I saw you from afar, and you know that mm-hmm. was it. So yeah. it, it's good to finally meet you. And I know we've done uh, you've done advertising on the stations as well for your books. So. Um, I know I bought uh, my copy of of uh, volume three of of uh, Wild Kankakee at uh, Joy's Hallmark. That's where I got my copy, and um, it's it, when I when I uh, when I picked it up, I'm like, man, this thing is like a textbook. There's <laughs> there's just you know like even the the print is like textbook size, and there's just, I just when I was thumbing through it at the store, I'm like, there's just endless stories in here, and and someone. Um, would think, man, there's really this many stories, and this is volume three. It's it's just incredible. Yeah, uh, like you said, there's two more volumes, one and two, and uh, I have enough for a fourth volume, which uh, I don't think I'll be doing though. No. <laughs> it's, it, it it just doesn't pay it get, anymore. It gets redundant after. No, a while. no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's it just, just uh, sales uh, fall fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I suppose that that has to be difficult. Even with someone with with your um, uh, knowledge and backing and, and credibility, you know, because um, how many books have you put out at this point? Well, I just finished my thirtieth book in in almost as many years. Um, some books I spend years working on. Some books don't take quite as long, and uh, uh, very often I'm working on more than one book at a time. So that's, I guess that's how I've I've managed to do so many. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, sales fall, uh, have fallen off. Uh, when I did Kankakee County uh, Confidential, which is Wild Kankakee Volume 2, um, my big story in that book was something that had never been told before, and that was Governor Len Small had a love child and a whole second family in Kankakee, which... 
uh, only the family knew about. And as soon as that book came, a couple of weeks after that book came out, uh, Walgreens stopped carrying my books. <laughs> oh man, and because of that story, I, I would I would think so because it it can't be coincident. It can't be coincidental mm-hmm. that that happened. And that's where I always made the majority of my sales, Walgreens, because people, you know, hundreds of people come in every day and yeah. they, they see it and they buy it. Well, they don't see it. They don't buy it. Okay. So, I didn't know it was for sale at the the local Walgreens, all, like in all the, the area? local Walgreens. Yeah, for about fifteen years. Then uh, Kankakee County Confidential came out with a story about Governor Small's second family, uh, and then Walgreens stopped stocking did, it. Did you get a a, a message or an email or yeah, a, a letter yeah, one yeah, day? Yeah, I saying, did. Yeah, we, hey, we don't. Yeah, we're not going to carry your books anymore. Wow, and so, all of them. It wasn't just all of them. The yeah, whole, yeah, the whole chain. Yeah. Okay. I wonder, yeah, it, it almost sounds like, and you don't know because they didn't give you a... No, they didn't. But uh, three weeks after this came out, it's not a coincidence. Yeah. It just can't be. So. Yeah. So now that you bring up that story, I mean, I feel like we should talk about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, where is the, where did you dig up the information and how can you, is, is it actually confirmed that this happened? Oh, yeah. Or? Yeah. Um, I talked to the grandchildren of Governor Small, and they all gave me the same story. And here's a back cover of Governor Small and his his grandson. I mean, they look like twins. They look more like him than his own children and grandchildren look like him. Hmm. Wow. I mean, do you see that? I see the resemblance. Yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm looking at the uh, the back of the book right now. Yeah, that really is... It really is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, this was this was when and, and well, where uh, he met uh, this woman, uh, Gertrude Jones, and uh, she got pregnant and had a baby in 1897. In fact, she went down to Tennessee to have the baby. Um, and that was Lin- very common for yeah. those days to to kind of yeah. cover up the the, the hush hush. Yeah. yeah, you know. Um, Len Small was married with three kids at the time, and uh, she went down to Tennessee and had the baby. Well, the baby was adopted by Governor Small's brother and and his wife and raised in Kankakee. Um, When she became an adult, she got married and started having a bunch of kids. And the Small said, you're having too many kids. We're not not going to... uh, uh, share our fortune with you. So they disinherited her. Wow. Just because they're like, well, there you've got too many mouths to feed at this point. Besides. Well, they wanted, they wanted all the money for themselves. And also they didn't want to acknowledge this, even though among themselves they did. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you probably didn't get a chance to talk to the smalls about any of this stuff, right? No, no. <laughs> but they never questioned me. I mean, you, you would think they would say, hey, this is, this is false. Uh, but they, they never said anything. Yeah. I'm they of, know better. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just kind of surprised that you've never had them come against you and be like, hey, you need to. If anything I said was false, they would have. I also have a book, uh, Len Small, Governors and Gangsters. Um, that came out 11 or 12 years ago. Uh, they never said anything about that. And, and that's also a, a tale that's never been told. Um, they've all, always painted Governor Small as this wonderful man. And, you know, he built highways and he did this and he's so beloved. 
He was the most crooked politician this state has ever seen. More crooked than oh, our I, recent governors? Uh, uh, ten times. <laughs> ten times more. When he was state treasurer, you know, you're supposed to put, uh, just as an example, you're, uh, he's supposed to put money, deposit money over about 400 different banks. Because this is in the days before FDIC, before federal insurance. So if a bank failed, you lost your money. It was gone. So to avoid that, he, you're supposed to put he, uh, the deposits in about 400 banks across the state. He put half of the state's deposits in one bank. Wow. And it was a bank that didn't exist. <laughs> it was in his pocket. He loaned the money to Chicago Meatpackers, Sweet, uh, Swift Armor Cudahy, at 8% interest, paid the state back 2% interest, got away with about $2 million, which in 1917 was a lot of money. Well, 8%, that's high. Well, it was, war, for that time. It was wartime. Oh, so okay. that's why it was so high. Okay, this would have been World War One. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, in 1920, he was elected governor. The new state treasurer found took office and found that this had gone on. Took it to the attorney general. Small was indicted. Um, he, as his uh, defense in court, he said, uh, "I'm using an old English doctrine, which is." The king can do no wrong. The king is above the law. Well, the judge didn't buy that. So Small went on trial for embezzlement. The prosecution put on its case for nine weeks. I mean, they had everything detailed. They had him nailed. When it came time for the defense, the defense said, we're not going to put on a defense. Jury acquitted him. What? And the, and the Smalls today say, well, see, it was just a political persecution. He was acquitted. Well, something else I found out. Small had a good friend, business partner. His name was Al Capone. As governor, he was selling pardons and paroles to Capone's men and other gangsters and anybody else who would pay him. Um, so uh, Small's, uh, Capone's hoodlums bribed the jury. That's how he got acquitted. So they got paid. They got paid. Eight of them got state jobs. <laughs> Wow. Out of 12, right? Yeah. And then he, uh, the state sued him in a civil case. You know, they, the state lost the criminal case, but the state sued him in a civil case. And the state uh, and, and the uh, it was found that he owed the state a million dollars. Well, he negotiated. He only had to pay 650000 But the Illinois Supreme Court, in making that decision, also said that the Smalls Bank was a sham. So he was guilty, but he wasn't convicted. Yeah, this because this this bank he deposited half of the the funds you say yeah into a, a phony he called it the, Gra the the Grant Park Bank but it didn't exist there was no Grant Park Bank no wow man that's incredible yeah see that's a story <laughs> that's one tale out of Len Small book yeah, one was just... he was also a, a, affiliated with the KKK um, of course this was the 1920s and the KKK was popular at that time um, he let them use the state fairgrounds, the armory for their cross burnings and all, all this. They endorsed him. He welcomed their endorsements. What, what was the activity for uh, KKK and, and Kankakee County? <laughs> There's quite a bit. In fact, my Kankakee County Confidential, I have a chapter in that. In fact, I have about three pages of names. I have, I have the, the, the names of everyone in Kankakee County who belonged to the KKK in the 1920s. Names and addresses in this book. How do you get a hold of information like that? Uh, 
I've always had a way of getting hold of stuff. I mean, I made my my name as an as an investigative reporter, uh-huh. uh, and and I mean, I've I've got you know too many tales to tell, and that goes on for pages, Jake. Yeah, he's and not... some famous names too. Yeah, man, you're not kidding. He's got all the names here. <laughs> And addresses. and Right, and addresses. You've got, yeah, Mantino, Bourbon A, Kankakee. One thing you have to keep in mind about the KKK in the 1920s, uh, it was not the same as it had been before or since. Um, with uh, prohibition and all this uh, lawlessness of the, of the time, a lot of people, especially small town people, were kind of frightened by all this. And the KKK portrayed themselves as a family-friendly organization. Oh my gosh! Um, and and a lot me. of people joined, thinking that okay, they'll you know they'll bring law and order to to all this, <laughs> or the, the bootleggers and so on. Uh, they found out that, that that didn't happen. And it wasn't just Illinois. Illinois and Indiana had millions of people in the KKK and the whole nation had, uh, but they were kind of fooled by that. Yeah. They isn't, weren't, isn't the headquarters in, uh, Indiana? I think it was at one time, but it, it's, it's not the same as the KKK in the 1950s where they used to lynch people and burn mm-hmm. churches and such. It's, it yeah. was not the same thing. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, it was like a, it was like a cover up where they, uh, Kind of, it sounded like they kind of convinced some of the the holy rollers yeah. that were mm-hmm. really uh, worried about prohibition yeah. to come in and be like, oh well, we're gonna we're gonna stop all this. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it was more of a law and order type thing, and and people, oh good, you know all this, all these gangsters shooting up, and all these uh, uh, illegal uh, saloons. So, so let's start. I want to know where where does life for you begin? Does it begin in Kankakee County? No, I was born in Joliet. Okay, yeah. And uh, how how did you end up in in Kankakee? Uh, I had moved to Kankakee briefly in the early nineteen seventies, and uh, uh, then in the mid nineteen eighties, I was uh, living in Naperville, and we thought, well, let's let's move to a nice small town. Because Naperville was getting too big, and you know, we want to bring up our kids in a nice, quiet, safe town. And uh, so we looked in this area, and Hersher looked nice, so we moved there. Are you still in Hersher? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which which kind of encompasses you know your mm-hmm. your new book, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Western Kankakee County. And uh, I actually was uh, given a copy of this through work. It showed up oh. at the radio station, so uh, they uh, they let me have it, mm-hmm. and. Um, I I think one of the things I'm most fascinated, and I don't know a lot about Western Kankakee County. I think a lot of people don't mm-hmm, either, mm-hmm. just because it's you gotta you know you gotta drive a little ways to get out there. A lot and, of tiny towns with not much in them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was born and raised in Mantino, so completely different area of mm-hmm. the county. I think what I find fascinating is when I hear about a a lost town that doesn't exist anymore. And mm-hmm. that just kind of like piques my interest. Like, Ooh, we, there's, there's towns that don't exist anymore yeah. in Kankakee County. Yeah. Like, Oh, tell me about it. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So, so one of those towns is in the, the Western part of the, the of Kankakee County. Mm-hmm. And what, what would that be? What was the name? Uh, Clark city. Are you talking about that? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the one that, uh, uh, in this part of Illinois, um, a lot of towns just sprang up overnight. Uh, 
when coal was discovered and they dug a coal mine. Cardiff was one of them, and that's just across the county line in, in uh, Livingston County. Um, but Clark City is in Kankakee County by Essex, and uh, uh, they discovered coal and they, they built a whole town at schools, businesses, saloons, uh, uh, houses. Um, in 1900, it was the sixth biggest town in Kankakee County. Um, uh, I think I mentioned which ones, Kankakee, I think maybe Mantino and Bourbonnet moments. Um, and then within 10 years, it was gone. And today it's a farm field. You can see the old mine hill, maybe, maybe a couple of mine hills because there was a couple of towns. Um, but it's farm field now. And it's next to where Lake Shannon is, if people know where Lake Shannon is. That's a lake built uh, on an old strip mine, which filled in with water. Okay, I was going to say, was that a man-made lake too? Yeah, well, okay. a strip mine. Yeah. A strip, yeah. Because yeah. that's kind of like Lake Mantino. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people may or may not be familiar, but that was once a, a brickyard. Okay. Um, and so when the, the brick company mm -hmm. stopped manufacturing mm -hmm. there, they just let the... Mm -hmm. Water fill up, and it, it mm -hmm. became the mm -hmm. you know Mantino Lake yeah. Mantino. You yeah, know? it's. So. Uh, I know the uh, the quarry up by Lehigh uh, is is so deep. I think they have pumps. I was told something like they pump like four hundred gallons of water a minute out of, out of that thing, so it won't fill up. Wow. Or an hour. I don't know what it is. But I think a minute, but uh, you know, it's so deep that it's going to fill up. Yeah, because it's been there for yeah. so long now. Yeah. Um, but the coal mine. Did, so, you know, it had its own schools and everything mm -hmm. like that. Was it one of those situations, I forget what they, uh, the specific name for them, but where the the miners would be paid for only money they could yeah. spend, like, in, in the town in, and at the in, store? In, in script, which could only be uh, used at the company store. And uh, uh, they sort of indebted them to the mine company, you know? Yeah. So what happened? What happened with Clark? Uh, Clark City. The quality of the coal, uh, once it got so deep, was not as good. And, and it's the same with Cardiff. Cardiff was a shipping mine, which means they only sold to a business, not to uh, businesses or homes. And their only customer was the Wabash. And when the Wabash said, your, your quality of your coal is not, not good enough, we're not going to buy anymore, that was the end. Okay, that was their big customer. Yeah, mm -hmm. Was okay, mm -hmm. and the same thing kind of happened with, with Clark, Clark City. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, it just uh, it just vanished. It's so when they when the the mine closed up, and I'm sure everyone left at that point, yeah, right? They did, and they, did it did it sit there vacant for so many years, and then it was finally leveled off, or? Uh, it's, it, it, it sat there vacant, but I mean, some people still lived there, but eventually the houses just kind of decayed and they, they weren't well built to begin with, you know, kind of minor shacks. Um, with Cardiff, a number of houses were picked up, put on flatbed cars and moved to Kankakee in the White City area, which is by 6th Avenue. Okay. Um, I know the paper said uh, just last week that the whole town was picked up, all the houses, and that's just not so. I mean, there's Cardiff houses all over the place, mostly down by Pontiac and Emmington, Odell. Um, but uh, a number of houses uh, uh, were moved to what they call White City in Kankakee. It would be interesting to find out which ones 
I, I'm, I'm sure there's... I think you can tell because they kind of look alike. Do they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to uh, find out exactly which address they're at in Kankakee because I'd love to see one, you know, and be like, oh, well, okay. just go to 6th six, Avenue, Avenue. Avenue and look, you'll see a lot of houses that look alike. Of course, they've been updated, modernized and plumbing yeah. and electricity, <laughs> which they didn't have. Right. Yeah. Um, were there any other towns in Kankakee County that just don't exist anymore? Were there any other situations like that? Um, I think I have some listed in the book. Um, one, uh, you know, you go if you go west to K, uh, to Cabri, that's a town. It's 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 pretty small now. All those towns in the west used to be much much bigger than they are now, um, because they had to be. Each town had to be self-sufficient because it was just too hard to hitch up a wagon and then go on the dirt, dirt roads to Kankakee or someplace. It was just too far and too too difficult. I mean, all these towns, they had hotels, they had blacksmith shops, they had uh, hat shops for women, they had clothing stores, they had, they had hardware, they had all these. And that's all gone now because once they paved the highways and automobiles were invented, you could go someplace else. And that's what happened. Um, the uh, uh, when the uh, Illinois Central was going from Kankakee to Bloomington, they uh, plotted out a path, and it was a choice. Go- going west, it was a choice. Should we go through Cabri or should we go through Eldridgeville? Um, well, they chose Cabri, and Eldridgeville vanished. The only thing there now is a cemetery. Where was Eldridgeville exactly? Uh, on the county line east of Cabri. So was that which uh, Iroquois or Livingston or um, county line? Uh, the county line between uh, Kankakee County and uh, I guess that would be Iroquois County. Okay. My, my I'm sure my my father would probably know. He uh, he plows snow mm-hmm. in the winter time mm-hmm. in the Cabri area because mm-hmm. he works for the county highway department. So that's mm-hmm. usually the area he gets assigned to is mm-hmm. is in Cabri. So he's kind of familiar with that. But mm-hmm. um, it's just fascinating to me to hear about these towns that just yeah. don't exist yeah. anymore. And sometimes you see, uh, all you can see are, are old foundations, you know, but you have to look. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because at this point, they're, they're probably kind of getting sunken yeah. Yeah. into the ground. Yeah. And like you said, there's, there's a cemetery mm-hmm. left, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting you, when you find those cemeteries out in the middle of the, the country mm-hmm. and you just wonder mm-hmm. <laughs> about, well, about that. Well, just across the county line, just south of Hersher is Milk's Grove Township in Iroquois County. And they have a cemetery. It's owned by the township and they don't, they've never maintained it. It's all grown up with weeds and you see these old stones and like every few feet you see a depression, then land, then de- depression, then land. It's where, you know, they buried you in a pine box and uh when the body and the pine box are gone the the earth sinks down and it's it's you know, it's kind of neat to see yeah it is <laughs> neat to see it reminds me of the first time i went out to the the cemetery um at the old mantino state hospital mm-hmm. and of course it's now it's the veterans cemetery but i remember driving out there 
And it's just this big, empty space. There's no headstones, like, sticking up. And I'm like, this is a cemetery? And then, Is it marked at all? It is marked. But see, a lot of the, the stones are sunken into the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of them, but the, the older ones from back in the hospital days, a lot of them are getting overgrown by grass and whatnot. So you can't, mm-hmm. they're, they're just, you know, flat stones, but you can't. It's just well, sunken. I was going to say th- those aren't veterans; those those are mental patients. Well, there there's a mix now. Oh, I see. Since since the the veterans home took over, there are some some veterans buried out there from the veterans home, but okay. a lot of them are yeah. from, you know, the Mantino mm-hmm. State Hospital days. But yeah. it's just like at first it was so strange. I'm like, there's nothing out here, yeah. and then I had to take a closer look. So yeah, that's too bad. It's not maintained. I'm sure. I, I don't know what you'd have to do to, to properly raise those things up without disturbing mm-hmm. the grounds. I'm not sure how that works, yeah. but, you know, it, uh, I'm sure it would take money and time. And Well, there's no how. People know how to do it. Um, yeah. If they put the money into it, I don't know how uh, dignified burials they gave to uh, mental patients who had no family and no money and, and, and you know, they probably it was not very dignified Mm-hmm. And they and a lot of them, they probably didn't even know who their family was. Yeah, you know, they might not have even marked it with a name. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, these were just disposable people. You know? Yeah, sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what what are some of the other uh, interesting finds uh, in the the latest book of of Western Kankakee County? Well. In two thousand and three, and then again in two thousand and five, I came out with. Uh, a, a book, you know, this size, a uh, big size, County West, which is the history of Western Kankakee, Kankakee County. And then in 2005, it came out with County West Companion, which was uh, uh, more uh, information. Both of those books are big size and they're almost 500 pages each. Um, I thought I, I approached my publisher and said, you know, why don't we do a, a little handy book like this and I'll just distill the essential, the essential information about how the towns were founded and so on and so forth, and the essential photographs. My other two books, totally almost a thousand pages, I mean, it has a lot of genealogy and a lot of a lot more photos and family photos and so on and so forth. Um, I did this to, to boil it down uh, to an essential, and, and that's what... That, I, I like this book because it's it's the essential. I mean, this should be a textbook in in the Hersher schools because mm-hmm. it, it, it all the all the towns are in the Hersher school district, and this is the essential information of of those towns. So, what town what town came first in in Western Kankakee County? Well, Limestone uh, was never a town until just a few years ago. It was just a township, and and most of Western Kankakee County was. Limestone Township. Um, they carved Salina Township and some other townships out of that eventually. Um, but uh, when the uh, Illinois Central went through in 1878, then, you know, John Hersher's settlement became a town. Um, uh, something that they usually don't teach you in school um, is that uh, there was a, a, a town called Verkler west of Kankakee. When the, when the Kankakee and Seneca was going th- through, um, they were tr- trying to decide where should we build stations. And that was very important because wherever you built a station, a depot, you had a town. So there were three spots in Salina Township that could have been chosen. And uh, uh, Kankakee attorney 
Thomas Bonfield said, uh, uh, okay, you give me $2,000 cash and, and you get the station. So the, the village of Urkler paid him $2,000. Well, one day the train pulled into the station with a big sign that says Bonfield <laughs> and they put it on the station and I, I, I guess that was part of the deal, you know. You change the name of the town to my name, Bonfield. That's why you have Bonfield. It was incorporated in the Kankakee County Courthouse as Verkler, yeah. named after the men who settled it. And it was a town, but they, they had to change their name. <laughs> I love that. Corruption goes way back in this county. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, things were were so different Back then, I mean, yeah, but you know, I can see that happening today too. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah, it's it's true, but I feel like it was a, a it it happened a little more easily mm-hmm. back then, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't have TV uh, stations uh, uh, exposing this. <laughs> you didn't have, yeah, you had newspapers, but yeah. you know, they still only they could were all do biased. So much. They were all biased, and they were all you know, they favored people. Yeah. So Verkler was just a name of one of the... The the two men who settled the town and and, and built the town, and it was actually incorporated. And then when Bonfield gave them, or they... When Bonfield said, okay, you you pay me this money, $2,000, which was in 1882, it was a huge amount of money, especially for farm people. Um, uh, uh, When he demanded the, the payoff... They got the station. I just think it's funny that they paid him and it became, the town became his, you know, after his name Mm -hmm. and not like the other way around where you would pay the town and then it would become Mm -hmm. your name. You know, it just seems a little backwards Mm -hmm. to me. (laughs) Well, they changed the name of the town. And uh, he was the attorney for the Kankakee and Seneca, and supposedly not the first mayor of Kankakee. He was like the village president. I thought he was yeah. the first mayor of Kankakee. Well, so he was. he was the village president, which is the same thing. Yeah, and I but guess it wasn't officially it w- mayor, and it wasn't technically a, a city then either. Well, Kankakee you know, wasn't when when uh, the Illinois Central was coming coming down this way in 1853, you know, that's when Kankakee was established. That's when Kankakee County was established. Kankakee um, uh, wasn't even a city. It was called Kankakee Depot. Um, so they had an election to establish the county, and then they had another election to set which the county seat would be. Well, that was a fraudulent election. They had, uh, Illinois Central wanted it in Kankakee Depot, so they had all these workers from the limestone area vote many, many times, and, and that was set. And so when the first uh, county board meeting uh, was in moments, because there wasn't a single building in Kankakee. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, they, they wanted it to be the county seat so and they, they could it. build up their well, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even though Moments was the, you know. Moments was, was the, established and Bourbonnais was established. They, they, it, th- those were cities. They had buildings, they had businesses, they had houses. But Kankakee Depot was chosen, even though Kankakee did not have even a, a, one building. And Bourbonnais, uh, Bourbonnais at that time, and I don't know if they ever did, they didn't have a depot, right? Ah, uh, I don't know. Okay. At that time, I don't think they did, no. Yeah. I, I feel like I had heard or read somewhere that they chose not to have a depot. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, though. Uh, the town of Bradley was uh, founded as 
the, the village of North Kankakee. Yes. And then when the, the, the Bradley Implement Company wanted to move, a whole bunch of cities were vying for that. Um, the town of North Kankakee paid off the Bradley people. So they not, and, and they also demanded that you change the name of the town to Bradley. And in the 1890s, after it was Bradley, the town wanted to annex itself into the city of Kankakee. And the city of Kankakee, Kankakee said, no, we don't want you. <laughs> Can you imagine if if it did actually become a part of Kankakee, mm-hmm. though? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kankakee alone is already pretty big mm-hmm. as far as like the area. Yeah, it is. And if you added Bradley to it, that would be huge. And and eventually annexed all the way up to the mall, you know? I mean, that, that would be a huge city geographically and, and, yeah. and population-wise, too. But Kankakee didn't want it, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> probably because of all the, uh, you know, the the competition that was going on there. Well, you would eliminate the competition if you just annex them in, in, into the city. That's true. Yeah, good point. And they were already, all these big factories you know, were being built in Bradley. Yeah. I mean, they, they should have wanted them. Yeah, that's true. That's interesting on why uh, that didn't happen, but... <laughs> You know, we'll never know, right? I I don't think they said why they didn't want it, but they just said, nah, we don't want you. Okay. And and they, like, maybe they just had enough on their plate at that point. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Yeah. What's, what's another, I mean, there's so many stories. Um, I, I, just from reading, you know, volume three of, of Wild Kankakee so far, I know one of the stories that stuck out to me was the the cult yeah and that was a big thing in the 60s and 70s cults were yeah at the and well of course they still exist today just in different Mm -hmm. obviously everything evolves over time just like we were talking about the kkk i mean technically that's a cult and that changed and evolved Mm -hmm. over time too Mm -hmm. but in the 60s and 70s there was a lot going on and and it touched the whole country including our county of of kankakee and i think that was it's something i had i had heard about before that there were cults but i never got a good dose of what actually went on until i read mm-hmm. your your book there and that that part about it so uh, let's talk about that. Well, it was called His Community, and it was started by a number of people. I think David Mulligan was the, the head guy. And uh, uh, just like a cult, you disown your family. You don't speak to your parents. You sell all that you have and give, give it to him. Um, you deny your uh, parents and grandparents to see, to see the kids and grandkids, and, and you're just totally devoted to them. And... Uh, uh, they had to move several times, and uh, I think that Mulligan now is—I think he's—he's he's in Vermont now, and he still has some kind of a church, and he—he—he he, he still has family down here. He hasn't spoken to him in decades because he's the all-knowing. You know, he's right. Yeah. He's the guy. He's yeah. right. He's got all that mm-hmm. that power and such. But you, in in the book, you follow. Um, the, some of the the followers and their stories, and you were able to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was that was very interesting of of how they ended up, you know, leaving Kankakee with mm-hmm. with their children. Yeah, and some of these people tried to get their 
their children or grandchildren back. It always amazes me how people can buy into that and say, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll never speak to my parents again. I won't let them see their the grandkids and I'll just be totally devoted to this this nut with his nutty ideas. I don't see how that how that happens, but it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't either. I, I think it's just uh, how convincing that mm-hmm. that person can be. Their their magnetic yeah. personality. Yeah. And I, th- I think they're possessed by the devil to a certain extent because, you know, the devil has power, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think I think that's part of it. Yeah, I think so, too. Another <laughs> another thing that's always been interesting is what do you know about Stell? Oh. <laughs> now, a lot of people, I, I, do you actually have stories on Stell? I have a chapter in my Kankakee Confidential book about that. Okay. Um, it was founded by, you know, another nutty cult guy. So it was a cult. Uh, yeah, but I don't know if a lot of those Stell people would say it's a cult. Uh, what they wanted was they believed they believed that the uh, the earth was going uh, to end on a certain date and we need to form our own community and be self-sufficient and when it, when it, the end comes it, the giant spaceship will come down and take us to another planet you know and of course that didn't happen it's like uh what's that, the f- the flying spaghetti monster <laughs> or on the or on the simpsons you know the, the leader i don't know if you've seen that episode of the simpsons i'm sure i have it's ju- it's just like stell <laughs> yeah um, so just to kind of, if, if you're not familiar with Stell, it's near, it's, I've been out there once or twice, um, but it was probably 10 years ago. Um, someone I had dated, her father lived and he probably still does, uh, live, lives in Stell. Um, and when I went out there, it was just, it had this kind of bizarre feeling to it. It just, you go in there and it's like this old community from when was it built the i think in the 1970s is when it started okay in 80s but it had more of a uh a 1950s feel to it when when i went in there to me and it's just like out in the middle of nowhere yeah and tried it like you said it had that just south of the kankakee county line oh it is south of the kankakee county line in uh the west end of the county okay so so it is it actually in Kankakee County, or is it no. just out? Oh, okay. No. For some reason, I thought it was yeah. in the county. It's just outside of the county. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's not exactly. It's sort of near Hersher. Kind of, yeah. And yeah. Cabery too. Yeah. Cabery too. Yeah. yeah. So that that's this place we're talking about. So if you ever get a chance to go out there and check it out, you should. Mm-hmm. But so yeah. So I have, I have a story about it in a confidential book, which okay. I'll, I'll leave with you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll, like I said, that's something I've always been interested to know more about may 5th 2000 that's when the world is going to end and obviously it it didn't (laughs) nobody told me if it did if it did nobody told me (laughs) well you know there was the whole y2k thing (laughs) that a lot of yeah that was supposed to go bad too yeah yeah yeah. um but i don't know i I don't think estelle today it's just everyday people who live out there i don't think there's still think a cult so. it's it's yeah. it's or or a maybe not a cult let's just say a group yeah um it it was not a a religious type of a cult it was more yeah. of a mental type of a survivalist um Scien- a scientific yeah, maybe yeah. kind of yeah kind of thing yeah yeah 
I just, uh, I've, I found that to be very fascinating and very strange going out there. Yeah. You know, cause I, it's not huge by mm. any means, Yeah. but there's, there's a good number of, of houses out there. Yeah. So, um, and I, and of course the founder died in disgrace, you know, as, as, as they all do, you know, sex scandals and uh, financial who, scandals. Well, who, oh, so, so tell us about the founder. Um, well, he wasn't from here. He was, I think he was from California, but uh, kind of a new age type of mentality, you know, which, you know, to me is nutty. So but, he came, how, how did he wind up here from I, California? Well, let's see. I, I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's in this, because uh, this book is several years old. Um, but uh, I don't know why he chose this spot, but uh, uh, but he did. He he believed he had had three thousand past lives, including he was King David at one time in the Bible. So <laughs> to me, that would that would that would be a a warning sign. You know, maybe I shouldn't follow this guy. Yeah, <laughs> I was once King David. You know. <laughs> yeah. Bow down to me. Listen to everything I say. Uh, you know, usually it's like, yeah, I was a butterfly in a different lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's some people who will believe you if you said that. Right. But King David, I mean, that's yeah. very, that's very specific. <laughs> you is. know what I mean? Yeah, like, and, and, and he was somebody. King David was somebody. Right. He was king of Israel. You know, he was not, not just some guy. Yeah, know? exactly. A, a well-known figure throughout history. And Well, there are some cult guys who say that they, they, they're Jesus and that's, people well, believe him. So. Yeah, <sighs> that's true. Very true. I mean, there's there's so many different stories. There's so many different things that we can talk about. What What's something else you're working on or what's something else that you like to um, bring to people's attention? Well, I did a book a few years ago called Small Justice. It was about the kidnapping of Stephen Small. I think most people know about that. That was in 1987. Uh, Danny Edwards was a local thug and drug dealer and uh, uh, he got busted but he made a deal with them, uh, with the uh, authorities. So if he was caught, he got probation. If he was caught again, it'd be 30 years. So he felt like he couldn't deal drugs anymore. So he hatched this uh, idea to kidnap somebody and hold them for ransom. And it was Stephen Small because, you know, he had a lot of money. So did he need that? What did he need that money for? Did he, he owe a bunch it. of? He didn't oh, okay. need. No, he didn't I owe thought... anybody. No, that's my book. Um, uh, dispels all those myths of oh he owed drug dealers in Chicago. No, he didn't owe anybody. He he just wanted the money. That's it. Um, so he kidnapped him and buried him alive because he thought that that was he, he was working alone. So he thought that's a good way to hold somebody, you know, I'll bury him alive. I'll have a little air tube coming out, put a, a light in the box and candy and water and all that. And I'll dig him up the next day. Um, you know, if he, uh, but the ventilation was inadequate and small died. Um, he was living with uh, Nancy Rich at the time and uh, she was uh, arrested with him and she was convicted and spent uh, sentenced to life, and she's still in prison now. Thirty-four years later, she's still in prison. Um, when I was doing um, Kankakee County Confidential, I thought, you know, I don't think they've ever given interviews to anybody. It'd be neat if I got an interview, you know, and ask them how they did it and what they were thinking and all that. 
Um, so I did. Um, I am the only person that they've ever given an in-depth interview to. Danny said he, you know, they were besieged by Washington Post and New York Times and 60 Minutes. All they they wanted the inside scoop on the buried alive. They neither one of them would talk to anybody, but they both talked to me. And I think that that's something I gained in my years of investigative reporting. I've always gotten people to talk to me who wouldn't talk to anybody else. Now, don't ask me how, <laughs> but I, I've been able to do that. Um, and uh, I went to uh, the women's prison to ask Nancy the details, how they did it and, and what they were thinking and what made them think they could get away with it. And first thing she said to me was, uh, I can't tell you anything about it because I don't know anything about it. First thing I knew about it, I was, in, I was in bed and I wake up and I see this guy in army fatigues pointing a gun in my face. Um, I talked to Danny. He said, he said the same thing. She didn't know anything about it. Um, I was doing, I was trying to do two, two things. One, plan a kidnapping and two, keep it from Nancy because she would never have gone along with it. And, and if she had been helping me, she could have watched him. I wouldn't have had to bury him alive. Yeah. He said, Stephen Small would never have been put in that box if Nancy was helping me because she could have watched him while I was doing the, the, the details. Um, so I went, I spent a, a, a couple of weeks in the courthouse going through all the transcripts of both trials and, and the appeals and all that. And it's like, that trial was a sham. It was a complete sham. Um, they convicted her on nothing. Um, the most they had was um, when he made, when he went to pay phones to make ransom calls, um, she drove them. But in those days, they had pay phones. They don't have pay phones anymore. But in those right. days, they had pay phones, and they had them like on a pole where you could drive up and use the phone from the, the driver's side window without even, without even getting out of the car. Well, he had, had her park 10 feet away. So that he could get out and so she couldn't hear him. And that's verified by the FBI because he made a call. They traced the call. The next day, he went back to the same phone. <laughs> so the, they were staking out the phone and they saw mm -hmm. she parked 10 feet away. He gets out and, and goes to this phone that he could have used from the car window. Um, uh, and all she knew was she's just, you know, driving him to a phone. That's all she knew. And, uh, uh, I cite one one incident that uh, you know that, that that backs it up even more, and that is um, at at midnight they were uh, Danny was going to go out and make a, an, a ransom call, and she said, well, "Where are you going?" He said, "I'm, I'm just I'm just going. I'll, I'll be back." Oh no, where are you going? So he had to think of something to fool her. So he said, "Well, I'm going to take your bicycle to Jack's place to be fixed because you know the chain is is bad." Uh, uh, now, ordinarily, you might say, why are you taking it out at midnight? <laughs> but, yeah. but she didn't ask questions. Um, so so the FBI was, this is also verified because the FBI was staking out their apartment. This was the next day. They, so they, they knew, had figured out. They, they knew who it was. They didn't move in because they thought they would endanger Mr. Small's life if, if they moved in too fast. They wanted to keep an eye on them for a couple days. So the FBI is also staking out the, 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 the phone booth in Roma Park and their apartment in Bourbon A. So they see at midnight, the garage door opens, Danny takes a bike, puts it in the trunk of the car. Of course, it doesn't fit, so he had to tie it down. Goes out to Roma Park, makes the call, comes back, takes the bike out of the trunk, 
and, and, and it, that was testified at the trial because the FBI saw it. And I was amazed when I saw it in the transcripts. I said, why didn't, why didn't her lawyer say to me, that's one of the biggest things in the case. And they, they made nothing out of it. If you're going out to make a ransom call at midnight, why would you put a bicycle in the trunk, go out and, and uh, make it and then come back? Because if a cop saw you with a bicycle sticking out, they might say, they might think you just stole it or something. They might stop you. Why would you do that? And I, I figured it out instantly. I know why they why they did it. He was doing that to fool Nancy. He was he was going out to make a call, but he was telling her he was taking her bike to be fixed. And uh, uh, why they didn't why they didn't see that and make make a big deal out of that? I don't know why. Because at least ask the question: Why did you put a bicycle in the trunk of the car? Yeah, <laughs> you're the, going out to make a call. Right. It's very unusual. And you don't want to be spotted. Yeah. You would you would like I agree. You would think they would bring that up. So what did it, what did Danny end up getting for his sentence? He was sentenced to death. And, of course, with appeals, all these appeals. Well, in 2003, Governor Ryan ended the death penalty, commuted all the sentences. So, and Danny's still alive today. I mean, he just emailed me today. Every <laughs> once in a while, he'll email, e- email me. So, Okay. And then with, and there was actually, they, they thought he did have an accomplice, um, because they did, or there was another suspect that they also brought in yeah. at that time. Yeah, Kent, Kent Elaine, who lives in Moments, um, uh, he he, uh, Danny named him as an accomplice. Well, they brought him in, and and almost immediately they let him go because they didn't believe Danny, and 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 so on and so forth. And and I said, why did you name him? He said, well, he owed me drug money; he wouldn't pay. So <laughs> I was I going to name him as an accomplice, and he he came up with all these things. Oh, you know the the. Drug dealers in Chicago forced me to do it at the time. He was saying this, and uh, 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 black cowboys out in uh, Pembroke uh, were in on it, and, and this and that. And uh, now he's telling the truth. Danny, for at least twenty-five years, has been a born-again Christian. Um, uh, I have visited him several times in prison, and he conducts Bible studies. He teaches Bible studies. Um, the Bible and, and God is his whole life now. And, and I think that's why he's telling me the truth, because, because uh, uh, back then he was telling lies to save his life. And well, now, you know, right. he's, he's got nothing to lose. Right. He's got nothing to lose at this point. And nothing point. to gain. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing to gain at this yeah. point, except yeah. for maybe helping Nancy out, um, you know. He, he's not even helping Nancy out that much. He's, he, he gave a, a deposition, which uh, a, a couple hundred page deposition a few years ago, and he spilled out the whole thing. And uh, uh, but as far as, you know, being anxious to help Nancy, you know, people say, well, he's just trying to help his girlfriend. Well, he didn't help her at the time. Um, he didn't testify at her trial. He could have testified and said she had nothing to do with it, but he didn't. He hasn't helped her all these all these years, so uh, he's not especially helping her now. Uh, but he gave a deposition. That, that's that's something. Mm-hmm. Have have you have you? I'm sure you've asked him why he hasn't, because I know you're an advocate for well, for getting Nancy out. Well, he 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 says that, uh, his opinion is that you know the smalls will never let her go. She she's never going to go get out because the smalls won't let it happen, and it's just a waste of time. Was she the closest she ever got to it? Was didn't she end up going out to the uh, to the field in Aroma Park? With no. with him and not know it. No, 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 no. She never did. He told her 
pick me up at 3 a.m. at this location. He took her out to the location like a highway, you know, because after he buried Small, then he, he ran a distance to, to this highway and she picked him up like a three. Pick me up at 3 a.m. at this spot and don't ask questions. Because she was asking questions the, the week he was acting so strange the week I'm before. I'm sure he was anxious and, and, and stressed. And she and... said, well, why are you acting this way? He, he actually put, put a gun to her head and said, if you don't stop asking questions, I'm going to blow your head off. Then I'm going to go upstairs and blow your son's head off. Guess what? She stopped asking questions. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, women are, can be so intimidated by brutal men. Um, he said, pick me up at this spot. At 3 a.m. And she did. So I was like, oh, she must have been in on it. No, she was just doing what... If she was in on it, she wouldn't have picked him up at this highway. She would have driven to the spot and picked him up at the spot. Instead of... Instead being, of someplace else. Yeah. And, so, and, and they confiscated all this stuff from their apartment. They had... This was a sandy spot. They had... Danny had sand on his shoes. Nancy had no sand on her shoes. No sand on her clothes. Nothing. What what's it going to take now to get Nancy out? What's what's being? I know there's been several appeals yeah. she, since she has several appeals. One is is that uh, you're supposed to take uh, domestic abuse into consideration at sentencing, and it wasn't. So they have appeal on that. Um, uh, you know, it's it's the Kankakee judges have been so biased over the years. She's had, an, since my book came out, she's, she's had a couple of Chicago attorneys taking up her case, and they've had a number of hearings, and they've been so biased. In fact, they even told me, they said, you know, we practice in Cook County, and we don't even see this in Cook County, you know. Um, this one judge, Lustfeld, was in charge of her case. He was so biased that her attorneys filed a petition for a new judge based on bias. Well, the petition went to head judge Michael Kick. And Michael Kick was supposed, supposed to assign the petition to be heard by a judge, where Lussfeld was biased. He gave the petition to Judge Lussfeld. So Judge Lussfeld decided that Judge Lussfeld was not biased. <laughs> you can't, how can you do that? You can't do In that. In Kankakee, you can do that. Oh, man. So, because what is her sentence? Life without parole. It is life without mm -hmm. parole. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to try to get parole for her? Get parole, uh, get a new sentence maybe. 34 years, I think that's more than most people serve. She's been in for that long yeah, right now. Something yeah. she didn't even know about, much less participated. She participated in taking Danny to the, the payphone, but she didn't know what she, he, he lied to her. So I'm just, I'm, I need to make a call. And that's what they nailed her on, right? Was well, she the fact participated. That, well, I mean, yeah, she you know, didn't know. Yeah, if you if you pull if if you you pull up in front of a bank and your friend says, "I I, I need to go out and make a deposit or something." Yeah, and he comes back, and a, a block later, a cop stops your car. You you both go to jail for life for bank robbery. You know, mm -hmm. and, and you didn't even know about it. Yeah, that's not right. No, it's not. It's not right at but all. But she had every public defender in Kankakee County would not take her case. And lawyers would not, they finally, the judge finally appointed somebody to take her case and he was the worst lawyer in Kankakee County. And he, it was, to, it was a sham. And the state, you know, a murder trial is supposed to be handled in the county by the state's attorney. Thanks to the small, it was taken out of the hands of the state's attorney and put in the hands of the Illinois attorney general. 
the top gun in the state. And he was good at what he did. Well, obviously, he's the yeah. top he's yeah. the top guy. Yeah. What what was the what was uh, Danny, what was the ransom he was asking for? One million. It was one million dollars. And you know what? We have the state of Illinois has spent many, many, many millions of dollars, not only keeping him in in jail, which I think is like forty thousand a year now per inmate, but he has so many heart ailments. He's had open heart surgery. He's been taken by private ambulance to Chicago hospitals numerous times. Um, he has 17 stents in his heart and arteries. Wow. His medical bills are in the millions. They have to be to, with 17. That we pay. That we pay. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. The and he's on all kinds of medicines for. too. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then when, if I'm not mistaken, when he, because he, did he place the, the call to Stephen to get yeah he did and where where was that at his house or was was Stephen at the Bradley house at that point? Stephen was home. This was almost midnight. Stephen was home, uh, and Danny made the call from a payphone, which is across uh, from Yanakis in Kankakee. Yeah, so he was right down the street from he the Bradley house. Yeah, when he yeah, made that call. Yeah, and here's the thing too, uh, another uh, unbelievable thing. When Danny made the call, he posed as a Kankakee policeman saying, the, uh, the Bradley house has been burglarized. You need to come down and, uh, and check things out. He, he posed as a cop. Um, Small's 15-year-old son answered the phone and said, well, you know, my dad's gone to bed. You know, is this important? And Danny says, yeah, it's important. I'm officer so-and-so of the Kankakee Police Department. So this has been done. So, so he talked to him for a minute, you know. Small son told the FBI, yes, it was a man's voice on the phone. Told the cops, man's voice on the phone. Testified at both trials. It was a man who called. When Nancy had a clemency hearing a few years ago, the son sent a victim impact statement, which began, quote, the first time I heard Nancy Rich's voice was on September 2nd, 1987, when she called our house. Hmm. This is the extent of... The, the lies the, the, the small family will do. And in this case, case, to keep an innocent woman in jail. So he first said it was a man's voice and then he changed his... He, cha he changed his tune in 2014 when he sent the victim impact statement. He told the FBI it was a man's voice. Yeah. And he testified it was a man's, man's voice. voice. Danny definitely has a man's voice. Nancy definitely has a woman's voice. But he said it was Nancy who called the house when she was up for clemency here. So and, then did Stephen at this point, or did uh, did Stephen's son wake him up? Yeah, he went and woke him up and said, uh, uh, you know, you need to go down there or talk to the cops or whatever. So he went out and when he went, went opened the garage, Danny was waiting there with a gun. Oh, so he was, so he was waiting well, Danny he made the, was at his yeah, house. Dan, Danny made the call. Then he, he went real quickly. And he had Nancy, you know, Nancy uh, drove him to the payphone where he, he was, she was 10 feet away. Then he had her driver. He had her let him off at Cobb Park. Then he ran a couple of blocks to Small's house. If she was in on it, why wouldn't she drop him off at Small's house mm -hmm. instead of Cobb Park? He said, well, I had, so, so she wouldn't know where I was going. 
Yeah. Because she could always testify that she let me off at Small's house. And she, and she pr- didn't. And she probably figured he was doing some kind of drug exactly. run. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's back to dealing again, you know? Yeah. Because obviously yeah. with his, his reputation and his past and everything, yeah. she just oh, yeah. figured, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Danny never, all the details in my book um, about the kidnapping have never been told before because Danny didn't testify at his own trial. He didn't cooperate with police. All these details... Um, uh, I got a lot of them from the, the, the courthouse, the transcripts, the uh, police reports, FBI reports, and of course, the main source, Danny himself, because he knew all these things that, 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 that he never told anybody until they told me. I said, I said, tell me every single thing from the time you put a gun to Mr. Small's house till the time you were shoveling sand on his box. And he did. Yeah. And it's something the FBI didn't know. They were staking out his house. And, uh, I mean, this is in the FBI report and all this in 1987. And uh, he got on his motorcycle and, and, and took off. Well, they followed him, you know. They thought maybe he might be going there. Um, he went into Quail Hollow subdivision, twisting and turning, and came out. He lost the FBI tail. He lost them. So they went back to the house, and he, he finally came back after 90 minutes. They never knew where he was. But he told me where he was. He went out to the, bur- the burial site. He said, I yelled in the pipe, Mr. Small. He said, I didn't hear anything. I knew he was dead. So he came back to the apartment. The FBI, I didn't know that until, until Danny told me. Did the, did the pipe collapse? Did it break? Was it? You know, it's one unbelievable thing after another. The pipe was a PCV, uh, like maybe... I don't know, half half, 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 an half inch or three quarter inch at the most. It came out of the box, but, but before it came to the surface, it went 26 feet sideways underground and then came up. That's a long, that's a long way. He could be, even if it came up directly above the box, he could be sucking on that pipe and he would still die because, because when you, you know, you breathe in oxygen, you breathe out carbon dioxide, which is poison. What he should have had, if he had known anything, he should have had an exhaust fan to bring fresh air in and exhaust bad air out, and he didn't. So, I mean, small. I mean, he he died in almost no time at all from just breathing his own, his carbon, own carbon dioxide. dioxide. Yeah, and no oxygen. And yeah. that's probably what his death was ruled as. Oh was yeah. Suffocation. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Um. But uh, uh, Danny just didn't know. He didn't even finish high school. So yeah. he didn't know. He thought, if I put this pipe, pipe up, he there's can... a little pipe, I'll put a, a, a light, I'll put some candy bars, get a gallon of water, you know, and I'll dig him up the next day. He'll be fine. So he didn't, he didn't intend for Small to die, but that doesn't absolve him. He still died. No, right. Yeah, absolutely. Just wasn't thinking that, yeah, he can breathe out of that pipe. <laughs> But where is that carbon dioxide going? He never go? heard of carbon dioxide, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Like he's like you started like out. Like a scientist. No, no. Yeah, like you started out. He was a thug, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. With no education. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't thoroughly thought yeah. through, obviously. You and I are educated. We wouldn't automatically think of that. But, uh, um, I mean, you have to know what you're doing. He didn't, you know, he didn't know. So if, if anyone... 
is there anything anyone can do if they're really passionate about this case and about Nancy being where she is? Is there anything anyone can do to... I think they should write letters to the governor and the attorney general because the attorney general is fighting, is still fighting her appeals. So it's just a matter of... The attorney general is Kwame Raoul, and when he was in the state Senate, he was the one who wrote the bill that said domestic abuse should be taken into account. And now he's fighting her appeal based on domestic abuse not being taken into account. So I think he's part of the whole, uh, you know, corrupt system, you know, because mm-hmm. he should be championing justice and he's not. Okay. So I guess uh, get writing those letters and the emails yeah. and yeah. and if, uh, you know, we want to help get Nancy out, that's yeah, that would help. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. I mean, I would not be taking this case up if I thought she was guilty. You know, I'm not in favor of Danny getting out, out, of, out of prison because he's guilty and he knows he's in prison. I mean, he knows he's guilty and he knows he's not going to get out and he's made peace with that. That's fine. But Nancy, uh, you, you know, I, I take up the case of, of, of uh, wrongfully convicted and injustice. And if anyone would know, it would be you. <laughs> I mean, her, her lawyer told me I know more about this case than, than anybody, <laughs> including them. And I do because <laughs> yeah. they haven't talked to Danny at, uh, at length, uh, uh, except when the deposition was taken. And uh, uh, I've gone through all the transcripts and FBI files and all this. So, I'm, yeah, nobody knows more about this case than me. And, and uh, uh, there's no question, you know. When I, the first time I met Nancy and she said, well, I can't tell you anything about it. I don't know anything. I, I had no part in it. I thought for about one minute, I thought, yeah. But then after about five minutes, I said, yeah, she's telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I spent like more than a year and a half on this case before I did the book. And I looked for every single opportunity to, to show that they're lying to me and that she's guilty. And in, in fact, everything I found out was just the opposite. She's she's not guilty. Yeah. Yeah. From just from everything you tell me, I I I believe you on that. Mm-hmm. Just just uh, doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. And uh, Dan, uh, Danny said, "Well, I didn't tell her about it because she wouldn't have gone along with it. Of course, nobody would have gone along with. It. Let's bur- let's kidnap some guy and bury him alive. Who would go along with that? Yeah. Let alone. I mean, the the biggest. One of the biggest well-known families in Kankakee County. You're going to kidnap one of them. That's why she was convicted. If if Danny had picked any other victim, Nancy would not have been convicted. Nancy should have been used as a witness against Danny about his uh, his behavior, his behavior, and his, the the week before the kidnapping and all that. She should have been used as a witness. Instead, they wanted to convict anybody they could, and she lived with them, and and so they were going to get her, and they did. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's that's very good to know, uh, Jim. This has been it's been great talking. I know there's there's so many other things <laughs> we can talk about, and I would love to to have you back sometime, and we can focus. Um, maybe on a particular, so kind of like you know, with obviously with the small, mm-hmm. the Stephen Small murder. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's a so whole much, show in that, itself. That's I was going to say that's a couple a, of shows. Yeah. yeah, that's a couple of shows. So I think it would be it would be fun to have you come back, and uh, you know, we could focus on one particular thing mm-hmm. uh, some other time. That'd be fine if yeah. you ever want. I will. Yeah. Uh, so uh, b- uh, before we wrap up, do 
uh, obviously we I talked about the uh, the you know the images mm-hmm. of America, the Western Kankakee County book. I know mm-hmm. that just came out, but is there anything else that you do have coming out or that you want to? Nothing now. No. no. Okay. The past few books I've I've done have been outside of Kankakee. So. Oh, right. The, the Ottawa, the there's Ottawa, an Ottawa book. The, the radium dial where the women were all poisoned by painting radium on, on uh, watch dials. Oh my gosh. And all died horrible deaths and the company denied it and they paid the local doctors to put something else on the death certificate. Uh, I mean, it's just horrible. You know? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I know uh, your website is jimwritings.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, where else? Can, I know everyone can get your books there. Where are some of the other places that they well, can? Locally at Bargains and Treasures, which is on Kennedy. Uh, Moon Cookie Gallery, which is downtown in the old arcade, arcade building. Jo- Joy's Hallmark in Meadowview. And the Flower Shop on Brookmont where, um, and 50, where John Panazzo used to be. Okay. Awesome. So please, yeah, please uh, buy Jim's books. If you've never read them, they're incredible. If you've already read one, read another one because (laughs) there's, there's many of them, many of them and, and they're all great. Thank you. So all really good information. And it's good to know that, um, you know, we have someone like you in the area that is credible and is actually, uh, you know, doing the the proper research and getting the proper materials and uh, to, to back up these these wild Kankakee mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, so yeah. it's just uh, completely fascinating. So thank you for thank you for all you do, and, and thanks for being on, on Th- the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'll come back sometime. Okay. Let, yeah, okay. That, that would be great. Okay. <laughs> all right. That wraps up this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. I encourage you to uh, give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you uh, get your podcasts and And uh, you can find all the links to the different podcast platforms at kankakeepodcast.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list there. Or if you want to contact me about being on the show or anything like that, you can also do that on our website. Uh, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kankakee Podcast. And and we also have a Facebook group as well, which is just called Kankakee Podcast FB Group. Join that and you can stay up, up to date on everything that's happening with Kankakee Podcast. And our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. People tend to stick to you.